in the morning when you need the news that matters most. We have a constitutional right to publish this story. We are the fourth estate and we will hold the powerful accountable. You need the front page. Wait, what's the fourth estate? Us, the press. And everyone knows that? On the press box. Because I feel like people always say the fourth estate, but they don't actually know what it means. I think everybody knows what it means. I thought the fourth estate was time. That's the fourth dimension. I thought the fourth estate was Georgia. With Graney and Bischoff. No, not state, a state. You thought I was saying we're the state of Georgia? The Angels fired Joe Madden. They had lost 12 straight games prior to firing Joe Madden. They lost again last night, so they're up to 13 straight despite firing Joe Madden. Um, here's here's my question that I'm curious about in the like how we view the Angels. It's been a joke for a while that they've got Mike Trout and now Shohei Otani and like nothing else around them works out. Nothing else around those guys is good, and that's why they can't make the postseason despite having one and now two of the best players that we've seen. But like when you look at this team, do you think they should be a playoff team? Like, is this a playoff roster that the Angels have? No, it's the same thing every year. <laughs> Nothing changes with this team. There are certainties with the Los Angeles Anaheim Angels of Disney. Like, they are going to every year run out a pitching staff that makes you wonder how Mike Trout gets up and comes to the ballpark every day. And they're going to take two of three from the Yankees when I spend money to go watch them <laughs> in Anaheim. Those are the certainties of this franchise. No, to answer your question more directly, what is a playoff team has changed quite a bit with Bobby Manfred expanding it to catch 75% of the teams to make the playoffs. But the trouble with the a the, uh, the Angels is the exact same trouble it's always been. They never fix the pitching. Never. Who is the last good Angel starter you remember, Tyler? And you watch this division all the time. Uh, before the Astros were in the division, like Jared Weaver. And Jared Weaver was on his way to being washed by the time he got to the Angels. But yeah, it has been a long, long time. And you know what's crazy about it? It's also not like, oh, well, they went out and signed a bunch of big name pitchers and it didn't work out. They just keep trying to get by on guys they bring up from their own system and whatever sort of retread deals like the Dylan Bundys of the world or, you know, the artist formerly known as Noah Syndergaard that they, that they try to throw out there. It's insulting to their fans. It's insulting to Mike Trout. It's insulting to Shohei Otani, who I guess becomes the best pitcher they've acquired, even though he's also the best hitter they've acquired. Uh, one note, by the way, on the Angels. Mike Trout left the game last night with an injury. Uh, I have not seen an update to know how significant it was, but... Um, uh, tightness, 13... tightness in the groin uh, was what was reported. 13 straight losses, fired manager, best player on the team hurt. It's not very good to be an Angels fan right now. Oh, Shohei Otani's hurt? Oh, man. He hasn't been as good this year. I guess Trout was 0 for 30 or something like that. But Otani hasn't been as good as this year as he was in the past. If I ask you off the cuff, uh, let's see if you know this one. How old is Mike Trout? Is he 28? He turned 30 this year. Ooh. That's how Yikes. old we're all getting. Mike Trout <laughs> turned 30. Yikes, that's not good. That's brutal. Man, he's 30. He might he might really never win a playoff series. I uh what was the question again? I'm sorry, I just got to see. 
our funnest type of story our best type of story funnest is a good word uh leonard Fournette apparently he's a little fat rick stroud tweeted this out yesterday leonard Fournette made his first appearance at the offseason and seemed to be a little heavy and struggled some in the heat dropping a few passes i love when we get players are overweight at the beginning of training camp it's one of the best stories we have and leonard Fournette is apparently a little heavy oh but wait we have more information on Leonard Fournette gate uh, now that we've reached day two of minicamp. Uh, Jenna Lane from ESPN reports uh, with these photos because at Bucks camp, you can get close enough to the players to take photos. Ooh, wow. uh, Leonard Fournette said he's not where he needs to be weight wise. He's currently 240 ish and his goal is between 228 and 230. He's acknowledged that managing his weight in the offseason is sometimes a challenge, and I have never related more to a football player than just saying, yeah, when no one's watching, maintaining my weight is not easy. Oh, so um, my favorite part of this, though, aside from just generally shaming people for, for being fat despite being professional athletes, is the people on Twitter I saw yesterday talking about drafting Rashad White in fantasy football because Leonard Fournette is a little heavy. Yeah, I wouldn't worry about that. That's, Those are my. By, by the way, oh, by the way, uh, are we talking about people who are drafting right now? Are people doing fantasy football drafts right now in June? I mean, people do apparently like best ball leagues right now, and I guess there's dynasty drafts that happen, but that wouldn't include Leonard Fournette. But yeah, maybe you're kind of weird if you draft a normal league in June, aren't you? Well, yeah. Well, I think if you're unless you're playing for serious money, I feel like you're kind of weird if you're drafting in June anyway. Like, are you are you seriously like? watching mini camps and trying to figure out who's getting reps i don't know it sounds crazy i can't are you proud of yourself yeah absolutely uh, you're proud of yourself yeah fox backs me completely. wow and to be Tuesday. honest to be Tuesday. honest no no, no that's enough that's enough next question please john lynch turned down a 15 million dollar offer from amazon he is the 49ers general manager and he said yesterday I looked at myself and said, how do I sit up here and address these guys talking about the team and talk about having the fortitude to fight through the pain of losing a game like this and then turn around and bolt on them? I couldn't do it. I knew right then what I was going to do. I'm happy to be part of the Niners. Adam, what's wrong with football players and coaches and now John Lynch, who's a front office guy? What's wrong with them? Multiple guys would choose to do more work for less money like John Lynch did in this scenario. Okay, if it were the same job, if you were being offered a front office job somewhere else and they said, you know what, John, you can have the Phil Jackson deal, right? You can have, you can have 20 million a year and show up on alternating Thursdays. Yeah, sure. It's a different job, man. It's a different job. Some people actually want to be in the space doing things, and some people want to be us yelling at them. But, like, it pays more money. I don't get that part of it. I, I know money is a different not job. But, like, you're going to make more money and do less work? I don't know. It's uh, I get it. I'm not the same as professional athletes or coaches or whatever. But it's truest thing you've ever said. I know. It just seems bizarre to me that it's like, yeah. Uh, this terrible moment of getting eliminated from the postseason made me realize I can't take more money to do less work in the future. Some people actually want to be alive, Tyler. Some people don't want to be just dead in the soul coming on this show in the morning and being like, eh, this is kind of good. Eh, this is kind of bad. When's lunch? 
No, John Lynch wants to feel something. I, for one, support the man. Uh, my uh, universal theory for everybody who makes a decision like this, does he have kids and he probably doesn't like them? I'm so, so excited for your fiance to spend a life with you. Oh, it's going to be great. She hates kids more than me, so it's wonderful. Perfect. I'm out. All right, your favorite player to talk about. Aaron Rodgers wants to retire as a Packer. Uh, Matt Schneiderman tweeted this yesterday. Just finished 20 minutes at Aaron Rodgers' locker. Plenty to come, but he said he's, quote, definitely retiring a Packer unless they trade me, he said with a big smile. I know you love talking about Aaron Rodgers. Are we going to be done talking about Aaron Rodgers leaving the Packers unless it is him retiring? I mean, the contract certainly suggests that we are. Like, I, I think good old Throw Rogan is telling us that he's going to be in Green Bay for the rest of his career. Like, what else What what else should we try to read into it at this point? But at this point last year, it was Aaron Rodgers will never play in Green Bay again, right? Like, he's going to come do this one season, and no matter what, he's out. And now it's he's going to be here for life, and he got a $50 million a year contract. Like, at, at this point, we have to just assume he's going to be there because they gave him a contract that's going to make it very difficult for him to be traded. And if he chose to come back to this franchise, knowing Devontae Adams was not going to be there, then he willingly accepted the responsibility of trying to make it sound like Sammy Watkins can still play football. Here's one guy I do know hates his family. It's Aaron Rodgers. What family? He's probably saying he wants to get as far away from Shailene Woodley as possible. I'm going up to Green Bay, Wisconsin. I can eat my weight and cheese curds and stuff my feelings down my throat because my fiance broke up with me. That's why he stayed with the Packers, because he knows there's no reason that she would ever be in Green Bay. No, she's not going to Green Bay. And he obviously, you know, he probably told the Broncos like, hey, it's not happening. And so they went and got Russell Wilson because he doesn't have to go to Colorado anymore. That's crafty wording right there. I give you credit. <laughs> DK Metcalf did not show up for minicamp with the Seahawks. He is in the final year of his rookie deal. Going to make about $4 million this season, obviously in line for a uh, big raise with his next contract. Okay, maybe I should ask it this way first before uh, the DK Metcalf part. Do you know what the Seahawks are doing? Like, do you think they're clearly rebuilding? If you ask me what Pete Carroll is doing at any given time, I'm going to tell you I have no damn idea. The reason I phrase it that way is because like, I, my first thought was, okay, DK Metcalf, off his rookie deal, if you're rebuilding, it's probably not the best move to give him a big contract because for the next year or two when he's going to make a bunch of money on that, you're probably not going to be competing. So maybe you trade him and get something back for him that will help you. But I, but then I mid thought, I was like, yeah, the Seahawks don't really ever say they're rebuilding. They don't seem to actually be rebuilding. They seem to be talking themselves into drew lock, leading them to like eight wins or something stupid like that. So I, maybe he does fit in because they're just going to go all in to be as good as possible. Even if that means their ceiling is eight wins. But if they were an actual rebuilding team, I would think at this point you'd be trying to, see what you can get for a player rather than pay him during years you're probably not going to be very good so the defense is abysmal the quarterback is awful the best thing you have going on the team are those two receivers so are you going to build around somebody or are you going to build around nobody because right now they're choosing to build around nobody but yet not claim that they're rebuilding right so 
what does Pete Carroll want? Like, does he want a quarterback who's so bad that it's an excuse to run the ball 50% of the time like he really wants? I don't understand what one of the oldest coaches in the league is doing with a roster that is damn near barren of talent outside of its wide receivers and is in one of the toughest divisions in football. They're building around their running back room, right? Bring back Chris Carson. They got Rashad Penny. Didn't they? Did they draft a running back too? Again, if you ask me, did Pete Carroll draft a running back <laughs> without doing research? I'm going to say yes. Okay, I think they drafted um, the guy from Michigan State, right? Uh, Walt, Kenneth Walker. Kenneth Walker, Walker whatever. Sure, yeah, that makes sense. I think they drafted him. Yeah, of course. They're building around the running back room. All right. Before we go to break, um, what you sent me the story right when we started this segment. What happened with the Suns and COVID during the playoffs here? Yeah, we're starting to get maybe something that might be a little bit of an explanation uh, as for the Suns flaming out. Uh, the Athletic is reporting that starting as soon as Game 5 of the Western Conference semifinals that the Suns had a major COVID outbreak that reached at least one player. Uh, at least six people within the organization were dealing with COVID, according to this story from the Athletic, citing unnamed sources. Now, what's really interesting about that is that there are a lot of questions in this story about were they doing the testing that they needed to be doing? Were they following protocols that they were supposed to be following, et cetera? Um, there's one source from the Dallas Mavericks in the story who says, oh, yes, I mean, as early as game five, we were hearing they had a major COVID problem. So how would you, okay, I mean, how would, how would you not follow the testing protocols without like the NBA knowing that? Well, and the NBA commented on this, the story so far and saying we have no evidence that they've done anything that they weren't supposed to, right? When it comes to this, like the story is not heavy on details when it comes to yeah. hearing that much out at this point, but it's at least interesting about were they following, you know, protocols in terms of whatever's, I don't even know how much is left right now in terms of distancing and meetings and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, the, it's a, the rule that according to the article is the NBA requires all team personnel, regardless of vaccine status, to test for the virus. If they're experiencing symptoms, they may not coach, play or be at team facilities. If they test positive, the Suns, who privately insist there was no breach protocol, declined to comment publicly. One source with knowledge of the Suns' positive tests who was not authorized to speak publicly about them said, I think it's very clear that nobody wanted to report stuff, and this is where it gets dicey. All right, coming up next, we'll jump into some Golden Knights and the curiosity that will be their offseason. Time ticks down as Belmar wins the draw. Ruta by the Lightning Net holds on to it. This series is tied up 2-2. The Lightning, with that last goal, have scored four goals tonight. We're back to the press box with Graney and Bischoff. In about 10 minutes, we're going to talk to Ken Bulky of Sinbin.Vegas. He wrote a somewhat interesting story about Nick Haig of the Golden Knights that I think brings up an interesting question for the offseason, and that is how many players are going to try to hold it to Vegas in their salary cap situation. So the Nick Haig uh, scenario here, he is not eligible for arbitration after this season. He is going to get a qualifying offer that is one year, $874,000. Senben wrote a story on this, basically compared what Haig has done already. If he was a free agent right if he was commanding on the open market he'd probably get a three to four year deal worth 2.53 maybe even four million dollars per season but he won't get that from vegas because he's not a free agent and he's not even eligible for arbitration to basically argue what his salary should be so he gets the one year eight hundred seventy four thousand dollar offer 
There are a couple of options here, though, that could lead to Nick Hague getting paid more. He can be offer-sheeted by another team. It doesn't happen very much in hockey, but other teams can come in for your restricted free agents and offer them a contract. And if Nick Hague were to sign it, then the Golden Knights would have a chance to match. If they could not match, they would have to let him walk and he would sign with the other team. So in that scenario, another team could walk in and say, hey, we know Vegas can't afford things because they're already over the salary cap. We're going to offer sheet Nick Hague. We're going to sign him to a three-year deal worth $3 million a season or something like that, and the Golden Knights probably won't be able to match it, and he will walk. Now, the way Nick Hague could conceivably stick it to the Golden Knights, the way Nick Hague could try to look out for himself is by refusing to sign his qualifying offer, that one-year $874,000 deal. Players can refuse to sign it and try to negotiate a different contract. The Golden Knights don't have the cap space for that, though. And the problem for Nick Haig is he would run into, there is a deadline, I think it's December, but there is a deadline at some point that if a player who has not signed his qualifying offer doesn't sign by that date, he cannot play, he would miss the rest of that season, and he would be in the same situation next season where he would not be eligible for arbitration and he would not be an unrestricted free agent. So I'm curious to see sort of what happens here with a player where, A, another team could walk in and basically steal him away because the Golden Knights can't afford it, or Nick Hague could try to force his way into a bigger contract, but the Golden Knights probably can't afford to help him out even if they thought he was worth it. Just to set the scene for everybody here, uh, right now, the Golden Knights, per cap friendly, have $200,000 of cap space. Uh, and it's not going to naturally get a whole lot better because they already have 17 players under contract for next season at that money. Like, there's clearly a money crunch coming for this team. If you just take Stone, Eichel, and Petrangelo, you're already at that point accounting for more than a third of the Golden Knights cap next year. So they don't have a lot of attractive options when it comes to figuring this out. And I, I think Golden Knights fans need to get ready for whether it's a Nick Haig forcing the issue on them or whether it's the fact that there's just not going to be a marquee signing this offseason, that that's what this is going to be about. There's going to be a maybe a marquee departure ultimately. I mean, what, what was the number you said? 200,000 in cap space and they have 17 players under contract? 200,000 in cap space, 17 players under contract. Obviously, Riley Smith is not one of those. Uh, you mentioned Nick Haig is a restricted free agent, and right now you still have Laurent Bossois and Nolan Patrick listed on injured reserve at a combined $3.5 million. <laughs> so there will be a marquee departure. Uh, probably not a marquee signing, but there will be some sort of marquee departure. I mean, two hundred. if you don't even count the injuries or, the, or Smith or Haig or anything like that, $200,000 in cap space and you only have 17 players. That's, I mean, you need what? Six more to, to have technically a full roster. You don't have to have 23, but that's a full roster. Like there's going to have to be some sort of movement. And that probably doesn't even give you enough space to sign Riley Smith or give Nick Hague a, a bigger contract or if he gets offer sheeted or something like that. Like they are in a brutal scenario. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see what they do and how big they swing by getting rid of a player. Like, do they go path of sort of least resistant? Well, I guess it was very resistant when they tried to trade of Kenny Dodonov. Very, time. very resistant. <laughs> but do they try to go like 
let's keep this as as similar as we had last year as possible and just try to trade Evgeny Dodonov and fill in the rest of the roster with very cheap contracts? Or is there something bigger? Is there a, hey, like we talked about yesterday, William Carlson or Max Pacioretty or maybe one of the defensemen because they've got a lot of high-priced defensemen. Like, is there something bigger they might do to give themselves more cap space? Because if they truly believe this roster can win the Stanley Cup and it was just injuries that ruined it for them this season, then they should do as little as possible. They should say, all right, if Kenny Dodonov or something, yep, we traded him away and we filled out the bottom of the roster and here's our cup contender. But if they believe that, if they think there's something else wrong with the actual roster, then you got to do something big. The other part that on on the Nick Hague that I'm curious to see, we need more NHL teams to offer sheet players. Like that that's a that's a fun part of the offseason unless you're the team that gets offer sheeted. But that's like a fun thing that can happen and I want to see more of it in the NHL. The problem is is like you've got to pay essentially draft picks if you offer sheet a guy and end up signing him and the penalties if you sign a really good player, it's based on how much you give them money. If you sign a really good player for a lot of money, you got you can give up like I think it's four draft picks. Is the four first round picks is the high end of that? Obviously, Haig wouldn't be that, but I want to see more offer sheets. That's just a fun way to do the off season. And if you're looking for the rest of the RFA crowd, and this is not a four first round pick crowd, uh, Brett Howden, Nick Waugh, King Colasar. Okay, um, Nick Waugh could get offer sheeted, right? He's yeah, I've... he's. Pretty I mean, good. Nick Nick Waz probably established himself as a decent third liner at the worst, right? Who can play both center and wing. So, you know, look, if it's going to be the simple way for the Golden Knights, then it's going to be daddy issues, and they're going to have to figure out where where Evgeny <laughs> goes, right? It's $5 million for one year. It is the quickest valve to cap relief. And, oh, by the way, he and Max Pacioretty would be the two oldest wingers on this roster. Oh, man. How old is Evgeny Dodonov? Is he... Well, he's a daddy, so he's 33, Ooh. right? Um, and the oldest player on the roster is Alec Martinez at 34. This team's a little old. They're not, like, super old, but they're a little old. Who's, who's like, the good young player on this team? Eichel, I guess? He's not. He's still 24 or something like that, right? Well, Jack Eichel's 25. I'd say that's okay. pretty young. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's it. So, but, you know, other than By that, way, Shea Theodore? Yeah, Shea Theodore's 26. Uh, here's one that shocks me looking at this. Will Carrier is 27. Will Carrier looks like he's been 33 <laughs> from the day he was born. Is that just the life of a fourth winger that you're like you are required to look like just a hard scrabble dude who made his way through the streets to get to the NHL? <laughs> he uh, he, 27 is Will Carrier. Okay, yeah, I think it's because every time they do those like ask Golden Knights questions about their teammates, it's always like, oh yeah, Will Carrier is the one that would survive on a deserted island or if he got dropped off in the wilderness. I, that's probably just where did he was he raised by like bears or something? That's probably what happened here. I think that's clearly the situation because he is two years younger than William Carlson, who just by nature and fashion looks like he's auditioning for a role every time we see him outside of his uniform. All right, coming up next, Ken Bulky from Vegas joins the show. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios, this is The Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. Joining us now from Vegas is in Bulky. All right, Ken, what are the chances Nick Hay gets offer sheeted by another team? Um, it's definitely possible. It, just, it depends on whether team thinks he's worth the... Uh, third round pick that it would cost or potentially a second round pick. 
than how much of uh, how mean they want to be to the Golden Knights because it is a mean move. Doesn't everybody want to be mean to the Golden Knights? Well, the fans to the Golden Knights. We don't know how many teams actually hate the Golden Knights. I know there are some, but I don't think all of them hate the Golden Knights. All fans do. So what is the most likely path for the Golden Knights just to relieve the pressure on the salary cap balloon right now, Ken? Uh, Because we were just speculating on it a little bit. I think when you look at it, you you feel like if you can find a taker on his list for Evgeny Dodonov, that's the place you start. But of course, Mm -hmm. it's going to take more than that. Yeah, I think Laurent Brassois is probably behind him. He actually might be ahead of Dodonov. They just Clearly, Thompson made a name for himself and put himself in a position where he can, at the very least, be the backup, if not push Leonard to be the starter. So that's two and a quarter or whatever that is. Dodonoff, you're right. Um, you'd like to figure out what you're going to do with Smith and then now kind of open the door for how much more you have to go from there. But, you know, I, I think they're probably going to have to be a defenseman that goes. There's, there's a lot of money on that defense now, and... Martinez seems like the name that would be the clearest, and that'd be yet another extension that goes quickly into the extension, but I don't see another option that they have there. Would trading Alec Martinez actually get them something in return, or would that be a trade that gets them uh, Mikel Hekarainen in again? I think it would be a little bit better than Mikel Hekarainen, but I don't think it would be all that much better than Nate Schmidt, which I think it was a it might have been a fourth from Winnipeg. It's, it wouldn't be anything of massive significance, which he barely played last year, and he's kind of old. Is there any way to add to this roster this offseason, or are we just going to be talking about subtractions all summer long? Um, well, there, there's the, the Russian kid whose name is escaping me, which is not horribly surprising because I don't – Learn them until they get really close to actually. There's But if he played with Morozov over at uh, SKA, he would have to sign an entry level one year deal so they could potentially get a $900,000 top six winger option. Otherwise, your best bet would be to find some sort of hockey trade if you were to make a move with a Carlson or a Marsha so or Pacioretty or something of that sort. Maybe he's not even a good option. He wouldn't get much back. Potentially find some sort of move where you're trying to have two teams kind of shift assets around a little bit and Vegas takes out a little less salary out of it, which potentially get better. But I, for the most part, subtracting. Ken, you sound terrible. We're going to call you back. Okay. <laughs> so uh yeah i could you could hear a little bit there of what ken was trying to say we'll get him back on the line here in just a second hopefully he sounds a lot better than that um the other part of this golden knights offseason is what exactly or how exactly good is the bottom of this roster going to end up being because ken talks about like trading away alec martinez and we talked about Yesterday, having like a bad third and fourth line potentially, but on from an Alec Martinez here, you still have Alex Petrangelo, you still have Shea Theodore, still have Braden McNabb, but like, 
your fourth fourth pair next year? Are we, are we doing Dylan Coglin? Like Zach Whitecloud, I guess, is still there too. But like, you're not going to have a very good third pair defense uh, group again. And you're talking about not having two potential lines and one potential pairing that you really trust to put on the ice. Well, that's the difference between the initial Golden Knights roster, which was a lot of the four, five, six million dollar players, and the Golden Knights roster as it is today. Which, if you consider Alex Petrangelo to be a nine million dollar player, which at eight point eight he essentially is, you have three players making nine million or more, plus Max Pacioretty making seven for another year. So, you know, it is more of a stars and scrubs roster than it was balanced. You don't have the the third and fourth line that you used to. You're trying to essentially spread the wealth with the guys that you have. I mean, frankly, Tyler, when you look at this roster you feel kind of lucky that you got Chandler Stevenson to sign the extension that he did at the low number of 2.75 because he's proven to be far more valuable than that amount of salary. If they, oh boy, what was that sound? That was, there's a garden snake that is apparently trying to make its way into the ESPN Las Vegas studios. What is that sound? Is that supposed to be Ken? Hello, Ken. What are you doing? Hello. What, what is happening? Oh, hey, that that sounds like Ken. Yeah, you sound better. I don't know. It sounded like somebody was flipping through pages or something right into a microphone. Oh, that might have been me putting my headphones back on. Oh, okay. There we go. All right. Is that what that is? What is this this fancy technology you guys have? This is nice. What? Clean feed? Yeah, never heard of it. Yeah, it works sometimes. Um, So, off the roster here, Bruce Cassidy got fired this week. Who would you rather have, Bruce Cassidy or Barry Trotz? I think I would rather have Barry Trotz. I just think Bruce Cassidy's too similar to Pete DeBoer. It's a different style of hockey, and I think that that could potentially help. They they do play a little bit more of an open style of hockey, a little freer, creative. But for the most part, the reason that Bruce Cassidy got fired was that the players felt like he was in many ways too demanding and that he's pushing the wrong buttons, which that's a term. I, I can't figure out the buttons thing. The hockey teams love the buttons. But... I just think I think he's Pete DeBoer 2.0, so give me trots. He's much more of a player's coach. What we heard from Riley Smith about wanting to get back to playing more open, etc. Look, Riley Smith might not be here next year, but when it comes to the players who are going to be here, do you think they're going to be okay playing in a Barry Trotz, more defensive-heavy system? Um, I think at first they would probably be a little frustrated by it because it, it is going to be different from what DeBoer did, but it's the same type of idea and it is very structured. It's like play inside of what we do and then figure it out from there. So I, I do think that would frustrate them at least at the beginning, but then it w- would come down to whether or not they're scoring. They, they would have that same you know monkey on their back where if they go down these roads where they have moments where they cannot score they're going to be all frustrated about that and and that's going to pop right back up where i i don't necessarily think that's the case if they go with a different coach but i also think that trotz is such a good coach that you have you almost have to buy in he has such an unbelievable resume and he beat you in the stanley cup final like how do you not buy into that how many coaches do you think look at the golden knights and maybe it's very simplistic And it's like, that team can win the Stanley Cup, so that's where I'd like to coach. I'm going to take an offer if they give it to me. Versus how many do you think look at the Golden Knights and say, they they fired Gerard Gallant two and a half years later, they fired Pete DeBoer two and a half years later, and both those guys had some pretty deep playoff runs. Do I really want to go coach that team and be Mm -hmm. a part of that organization? I think there's 
both happening. It depends on where you are in your career. A, a lot of the up and coming coaches would look at the Golden Knights and say, let's go. Give me a chance. Like, I'll take any chance I can get. No big deal. A guy like a Trotz, that's a good question because he's been there where he has gotten let go in a situation where he thought it was too early. He also won a Stanley Cup and didn't even re-sign with that team. So obviously he has had some issues with front offices before. I think in the end, most of the time you're going to look at this and say, well, let me compare this to a Dallas or a Philly or whatever. And the money's going to be there. So we know that's going to be taken care of. They're going to pay the coach as much as he can potentially want or get anywhere else. That's not going to be a problem. Foley will give him whatever he wants. And then, you know, you get to live in Vegas. The situation's pretty good. If you end up getting fired unceremoniously, so be it. I think in the end, that's how most of these guys are going to look at it. Like, yeah, give me the best team. Uh, give me the best situation, and unfortunately, this is going to end horribly in a few years, but oh well. <laughs> oh, so they're going to kind of approach this the way I approach relationships, right? Like, it's, it's, this yeah, is going to be fun for a while. I yeah. know it's going to go down in flames, but I'm going to just enjoy it for a bit. Yeah, it's exactly how I approached Antonio Brown coming to the Buccaneers, and it worked out <laughs> great. The goodbye was a lot of fun. It, really it was, was awesome. Uh, do you think they ultimately are the landing spot for Barry Trotz? I do not. Uh, I think Barry Trotz is ultimately going to go back to Winnipeg. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with his family situation, and, and that's not anything the Golden Knights can control. And then in the end, I think he's probably eventually going to want some sort of hand in a front office, and I think that Winnipeg will give him that where they will not hear. And so... Speaking of the Canadian market in general, I'm curious because we talked about this uh, yesterday, Ken. Uh, how do you look at the Edmonton Oilers season? They clearly were able to finally at least get Connor McDavid onto the stage. But then when they went up against Colorado, it did not look like they belonged on the same sheet of ice. I mean, at least for them, they're taking a step in a direction that you want to be taking, which it very well could have been swept in the first round or not even making the playoffs or whatever. And now we're talking about Connor potentially leaving because he's never getting any closer. At least now they have a couple playoff wins under their belt. I think they still have to definitely make some moves and put themselves in a better position to do more moving forward. So I wouldn't be devastated with, with what happened to them, but you know, it's if the ultimate goal has got to be winning the Stanley cup. And if you watch that series, I don't think they're that close. I know they were eight wins away, but you know, we've said this about the golden Knights before, like, were they ever better than Tampa? I don't think so. Were they ever better than even the Colorado team that they beat? Yeah. They beat them in six games that series, but that team's really, really good. And this team, you know, I don't know that they measured up. So at least this year again, so yeah, they're, they're kind of in the same boat of like, it's nice to have been there. It's nice to pat yourself on the back that you made it to the final four, but there's still a lot of work to be done. All right, Ken, thanks for waking up. We appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, you got it. Thanks for f f teaching me about clean feed. Yeah, sometimes it works. Sometimes yeah, we it should doesn't. use this every time. Ken Bulky, Vegas. Thanks, Ken. See ya. All right, coming up next, we'll stick with hockey because the Tampa Bay Lightning, even the Eastern Conference Finals at two games apiece. Right circle, Palat stays with it. Palat, right circle, Palat shoots, save made, rebound, score! At the side of the net, Stamkos! Another rebound goal for the Lightning. They've had a couple tonight, it's 3-0.
15 seconds left. Keandre Miller, right point. Shoots, blocked by Pallad. Back the other way toward the open net. Score! Andre Pallad scores the empty netter. His third point tonight. The Lightning go up 4-1. Closing in on their second win in a row in the series to get this thing knotted up. ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Tampa would go on to win 4-1 in game four and the Eastern Conference Finals is tied at two with the Colorado Avalanche awaiting the winner. Uh, Adam, here's a fun question for you. The series is 2-2, but is it already over? No, it's not over at all. We've seen this, this Rangers team plays completely different uh on home ice and uh, yeah they shouldn't have allowed tampa back in being up two games to none and 2-0 in game three but i think this is far from over when you have shesterkin in net are there okay here's the crazy thing to me is igor shesterkin's numbers obviously he led the uh entire league in the regular season and goal saved above average in the postseason he's plus 10.9 goal saved above average in this series He's plus five. But even the crazier part is the last two games in which the Rangers have lost both. He's given up three goals in each of those games. There's an empty netter last night. He's still plus 2.1 goals saved above average in just the last two games. So they've lost, and their goalie is saving them more than a goal per game, which is an insane. You'd be among the best three goalies in the entire league if you did that over the course of a regular season. He's incredible, and the last two games make you look around and say, all right, it's just Shesterkin and nothing else for the Rangers. Well, yeah, it's been that way all year. And look, if you look at the advanced numbers, this team is not an analytics darling team, right? They allow tons and tons of shots. The other team dictates a lot of the play when it comes to the Rangers. And, you know, eventually when you have a team like the Lightning, that has a chance to come back to hurt you. But you also still have a guy who you just said, by all the numbers, has a chance to shut down the opponent on any given night. What they've run into the last couple of games is that Andre Vasilevsky, who is the best goaltender in the world for the last few years, is starting to play more like that when he didn't look anything like it in the first couple of games. Oh, wait. Do you, I meant to look this up or if anybody tweeted about it. Do you know the answer? Has he solved his little high blocker problem where he couldn't save anything high blocker? Well, not in game three, he hadn't. Uh, in game three, at least one of those goals was high blocker uh, against him. And now uh, I don't know if that stat has been updated, but you know the Rangers aren't getting enough shots through for it to matter. So you have this series tied at two. And Steve Levy tweeted out a scenario in which I hope that happens. Apparently, Madison Square Garden booked a Justin Bieber concert for mid-June. Um but the New York Rangers are still playing and they have home ice advantage. And the potential scenario here is that if this series goes to seven games, that same night that game seven is supposed to be at Madison Square Garden, a Justin Bieber concert is scheduled to be at Madison Square Garden. And I'm excited to see uh, Justin Bieber be bigger than the NHL, even though he'll be the one that moves. I, I want to see a Justin Bieber concert have to get rescheduled because of a game seven. First of all, we know Justin Bieber is a huge hockey fan. I don't think he'll have any problem with that. Right? Justin Bieber uh, did the voiceover when the NHL was reintroducing the ESPN NHL theme uh, and that fancy little video they produced at the beginning of the year. I think Justin Bieber will be all for it being a you know 
a minted Canadian and all. Um, but I'm curious from your perspective, let's say that this wasn't a Justin Bieber concert. Let's just put this in a different scenario. What if this was BTS? Oh, way bigger. Oh, not even close. So, okay, here, here's my, like, a genuine question. This is Tuesday, June 14th. That's when Game 7 would be or the Justin Bieber concert at Madison Square Garden. Why would the NHL not just have Game 7, like, the day before or the day after? Because there's two full days in between when Game 6 would be and when Game 7 would be. Why did they pick the day that Justin Bieber's playing at Madison Square uh, I don't think you need to ask the NHL that question. I think you need to ask ESPN that question, right? Ultimately, the TV partner is the one who decides when those games are, right? There's no way that the NHL is going to have more say than its TV partner as to when that game gets played. Okay, so ESPN is to blame, and they just decided. It's I don't know. It's still weird. I feel like I guess ESPN is bigger than Justin Bieber. Is that what we're getting at here? Not in my world. Oh, okay. I mean, you know, you um, know I mean, I mean, I'm a believer. And I don't need to hear any uh, any slander of, of Justin Bieber, right? Uh, I, I love him. I, I think he's fantastic. I've been a fan since he was on Ellen. Um, that's as much as I know about Justin Bieber. Is any of that believable? So, okay, but here, to, to answer your question about BTS, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I believe that if there was a BTS concert scheduled at Madison Square Garden, and I, that's pro- place is probably too small for them, but if there was a BTS concert scheduled there, they would have made sure not to schedule game seven on the same day. Like they wouldn't have been like, ah, well, if we get there, we'll make Bieber move or we'll make BTS move. I feel like they would have gone out of their way to make sure get game seven would not happen the same day as this scheduled BTS concert. Let's say that these two things were happening in the same city at the same time. Would your fiance allow you to go to the Rangers game instead of the BTS concert? Oh, yeah. She, in all seriousness, she had no problem going to the BTS concerts by herself. She asked me multiple times, like you told me, you don't have to go. I'll go by myself, whatever. So I, I had complete freedom to not go. I want everybody to know I chose to go see BTS twice. I know we have a few seconds left in this segment, but I really feel like we should go out on that 100%, (laughs) right? Uh, Tyler just wanted the opportunity to go see who was at the BTS concert. 